Isaac? Uh, not too much, bro. How you doing, Mike? Oh, doing all right. I'm uh, pretty tired. I still haven't fully recovered from hanging out with your family. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I told you we'd get busy. Yeah, it was a pretty wild night. Um, a couple of them. <laughs> a couple of things happened, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's how that's how we do that's how we do glad you can make it <laughs> yeah it was uh it was mostly fun it was uh you know towards the end of the night when when you started talking about religion like five people all shouting completely different things at the same time i i don't know if you saw my face but i was like oh god get me out of here i, oh. I seriously almost texted my wife to to ask her to take me home that and she was just sitting right across the room that is yeah, I I told you. I warned you. Didn't I say I, I will take you home? I will take you home right now. <laughs> You're like, no. I'm like, are you sure this is your last chance of running? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was that was a different thing. Like, I, I don't remember why you were offering to take me home at the time, but because uh, oh, I was taking uh, pops. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, so anyway, yes, we uh, we all made it through that. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Maybe we started getting drinks and religion. <laughs> you know it's gonna be a long night yeah but i, I did uh you know once once i was able to just hone in on one of them and and just debate uh one-on-one things things went a little better <laughs> i enjoyed that thoroughly yeah well, i said i enjoyed it thoroughly I'm yeah glad. well glad i could uh glad i could help <laughs> right so uh with all that aside um what do you think about Palestine? Uh, I knew he was going to ask that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot. I think a lot. Well, Palestine, uh, obviously, it's been in the news a lot lately. And uh, there are and have been some things happening there that, uh, that people are not super happy about. Um, to be less intentionally vague, um, Palestine is... Um, I, I'm not, I'm not, sh- I didn't really think it in advance how to, how to get into this topic, but, um, you know, Palestine is a kind of officially unrecognized state that exists within territory held by Israel and Palestine has its own kind of government, but the ability of the Palestinian government to do anything is is limited by the control that israel puts on it yeah see i never knew about that like i still don't understand that exactly um which part the whole like statehood process like i i don't i just found out about this stuff like this year i didn't understand you know i hear about it and you're like i don't i thought you know this is a nation of people yeah well and that's that's where it gets a little tricky because um statehood is Essentially conferred what? by other states because Palestine can call itself a state all day long, and that doesn't matter if other governments don't recognize it as a state. Mm, and that's that's the situation Palestine is in. And actually, it's um, it is recognized by the majority of the world's nations, but not by you know Western Europe, the U.S., Canada. Like we're basically the only holdouts at this point, but, but we're the ones, unfortunately, we're the ones that matter when it comes to Palestine having 
functioning functional statehood. Yeah. Being like able to actually it's exert like itself at What's that? It's not like number white privilege all over again. <laughs> this it's, is the, this well, is the crap that we talk about all the time, man. Like, no, it's it, not. It's not white privilege. It's imperialism. Oh, white imperialism. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. I because that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> no, what white privilege is the benefits conferred by imperialism. Okay, there we go. We okay. have white privilege because of imperialism, but man. they're not. They're not the same thing. They're just you know one one leads to the other. That's so wild. Or, like, how can you literally have like. A, like billions of people literally recognize a, a state, but you know you got you know these Western nations, these white ones, <laughs> predominantly that just say eh, no, and so like you can do all the fucked up stuff to it. Uh, money, money, and power. Man, that's I, why I, Be- I, because I'm, just, I'm so mad when I hear that crap. <laughs> yeah, um, but also that I think some of it has to do with. Um, with how Israel ties into the picture, because um, the U.S. and you know Canada and, and Western Europe um, strongly support Israel and support them in a pretty uncritical way, unfortunately. So, you know the the belief, the idea is that Israel has the right to defend itself and. You know, there is definitely a case to be made if you look at something like, I think it was the Six-Day War. Um, basically, as soon as Israel was founded as a state, it was attacked by pretty much all of its neighboring countries. Um, and, you know, that, I'm, not, I'm not taking a stance one way or the other, but, you know, you could use that incident to, to argue that Israel is kind of besieged, you know, beset on all sides by enemies. Mm. Um, again, not getting into uh, what they might have done to to earn the ire of their enemies, but, you know, ag- again, just, like, it, it's easy to... I don't want to make such a, a weighty comparison this early, but it's kind of like what we talked about last week with uh, the police. Mm. Like, you can make any excuse for any police action if you want to excuse them. Mm-hmm. So a similar situation is going on with Israel. Like it's easy to say that Israel does has the right to and needs to defend itself. But that doesn't get into the question of you know why do they need to defend themselves and what could they maybe be doing differently? You know, what, what is kind of the root issue? And, and it gets super sticky because, you know, we were just talking about imperialism a second ago. Uh, Israel was not, like, founded by Jews. It was created by the British. Right. And, you know, out of Palestinian land and given to the Jews that settled there. So it we're almost not even talking about Israel itself. It's just another, you know, symptom of imperialism. Yeah. But given that, you know, there have been actions taken by the Israeli government that, you know, that make things worse essentially. That that bring aggression onto themselves. Um, and I'm saying the Israeli government, 
I want to be super clear because it's important to be super clear when you're talking about this. I am not blaming Jews for anything that's happening in, you know, the Israel-Palestine conflict, except in as much as, you know, the prime minister and the uh, members of the government who are doing these things are Jews, but that's not why, like... They're, they're not doing these things because Jews are bad. <laughs> yeah. So let me just get that caveat out of the way. Hey, you know, you got to be careful being a white man. You don't talk about them, too. I understand. I understand. But it's, uh, I don't know. It's always, I, I, I don't like how you have all these, like, landmines just to talk about this issue. I mean, some things aren't political, and hopefully we can get down to it. And, then, and at least not with addressing a certain a certain thing like that. I don't know. Well, it's frustrating talking about this issue because as soon as you say one thing, then uh, you, you get somebody cross, crossing you with the left and you're like, whoa, 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 I didn't mean that. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're racist, you're racist. You know, it's like, yo. Yeah, and that, that's also that's also <laughs> a strategy. Yeah, oh, you absolutely. Know, b- yeah. Because uh, certain people just uncritically support Israel any criticism of any aspect of Israeli government or policy yeah. um, can be dismissed as anti-Semitism, whether or not that has any any bearing, any any um, any truth behind it. Basically, yeah. that you know, the Israeli government, like any other government, can be criticized on the basis of its actions and policies, and it's important to to criticize it when it does something wrong. You know, no government should ever be beyond reproach. Yeah. You know, no 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 government should escape criticism because of you know, whatever, because because its people are a certain ethnicity or a certain religion or or anything like that. So, yeah, it is important to talk about when Israel, like any other government, any other state, um, does bad things, and there are some bad things being done um, to the Palestinian people. Yeah, there is a lot. Yeah, let's get let's get down into it, man. Like uh, this is definitely like more of your expertise when it comes to this stuff. Um, I guess like I don't. Maybe we should start from like I don't know, not too far in the beginning, but like you know how how do we even end up where things are kind of like. Uh, it seems like things are, have been in an impasse for like 40 years, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Um, Israel was founded, I think, 1948. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, not like the Holocaust definitely played a role in why Israel exists, but it's also, um, you know, I can imagine the British government also wanted their Jews gone because it's not like Nazi Germany was the only, you know, the the, uh, the like they had a monopoly on anti-Semitism. You right, know there yeah. was <laughs> yeah. there was it's plenty to go around in Europe. <laughs> so monopoly on slavery, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's uh, there there's a lot to talk about. But uh, yeah. so it, it was again. The, there was the Mandate of Palestine. There was um, land that was being occupied by the Palestinian people who. I'm I'm not a hundred because I'm I'm not an expert on Israel Palestine by far, um, but I'm I'm not sure what their 
what the status of their like nationhood was because that's um, that was a major part of both world wars is like nationhood and self-determination so um, you know you, you could argue that that Jews as a as an ethnic group had a right to self-determination and a right to their own state um, and, and that you know honestly I agree with that premise I have no problem with uh, with Jews having their own state um, with um, now that that doesn't mean that I support like an ethno state which is what um, what a, a number of Israelis and particularly yeah. the government want it to be. Yeah. But, um, you know, just like, uh, just like a lot of other ethnic groups have their own states now where they didn't used to. So like Czechoslovakia used to be one country. Now it's the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Um, uh, what was it? Hungary? No, not Hungary. Um, Yugoslavia became Serbia and Croatia, and those those were um, based on. Um, I, I'm sorry, something weird's going on with my earphones, so I don't know. Oh. I, I don't know if you're hearing it, but uh, no, something's kind of buggy with my connection. So right it's now. it's. Uh, I suddenly got it in both ears, and I was only <laughs> having one. So I was like, "Why is he jumping?" <laughs> If y'all saw him right now, he just like jumped up backwards. Like, <laughs> um, it may just be time for new earphones. Um, so anyway, uh, that that was a big a big part of why both world wars happened, and we're still we're still dealing with the fallout of that. Obviously, you know that's, and we have a lot of imperial history that is. Um, a big part of why, like, Africa and the Middle East are, you know, in the state they're in because there were there were lines just arbitrarily drawn, parts, you know, apportioned to one colonial power or another, and those don't reflect the people that live in those places. Mm-hmm. So, so that's... That that is so much of like what is is going on in the world right now. Like so much of the conflict is just dealing with the fallout of of imperialism, and we we have a long way to go to to get past that, unfortunately. But it's interesting, actually, I, that you know these I can't remember who it was around around then. Was it FDR or something like that? That basically they had to after World War Two, they essentially had to like figure out how to break up the world. That's basically what happened. Like, and it sounds like they just they carved it what they thought was appropriate. And I never thought about it that way, where they're just carving it, and then there's like people that are like, "Hey, hey, what you like? What you doing?" <laughs> yeah, but also if you look at um, like Nazi Germany, what were they doing during World War II? They were reclaiming land that uh, they considered to be theirs yeah. because you know because of whatever justification right. they gave. Um, so, so that'd be like the South trying to come up here and, or you know, moving up towards like, I don't know, Louisiana Purchase <laughs> territory again. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be interesting. Um, or, or like Mexico trying to take California and Texas California. back. Right. South, uh, South Oregon. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It so would be wild. that would that would actually be absolutely wild. <laughs> I, yeah, but it, that's if some people say it, like they had a history. They have a history with that language. A lot of people do. I mean, I don't know. We'll get into that a little bit more. I just it's I I don't know. I found that fascinating just now. You kind of blew my mind. I never thought about that. Just like you know, just living and next thing you know, people are telling you and some stuff, and then they come and kick your doors down, tell you, you got to move or you're this now. Like yeah, Poland, you're now part of Germany. And you're like what? And then you have like a brick wall going through. You're like, you're <laughs> oh yeah, and, that, and that's that not part. even that's not even getting into the like East West Berlin stuff. Yeah, my God. Okay, I'm sorry. I, yeah, <laughs> I, as you can tell, I've, I'm trying to crack this open a little bit, but I, I've been very curious about the subject you talked about. Two weeks. We've been waiting to talk about this for about two weeks. So I, I don't know. I think it's very interesting. But go ahead, bro. <laughs> yeah. So that's so um, the world. <laughs> yes, breaking up the world, and uh, it's it's an ongoing process because what um, what makes a people, you know, one thing or the other? Because there are nations that are mostly you know ethnically pretty homogeneous, but have religious differences or like linguistic differences or. You know, just a- any number of things or, you know, go back to the Cold War and you had, you know, the the like capitalist versus communist nations that were split right. in half. You had Vietnam, you had Korea, you know, all, all of these different things are China, China right. until 49 was uh, was having a civil war over which, you know, the the quote unquote nationalists versus the communists Um so which of them are is the true um like the rightful leaders of China. Right. So all of these things are happening in all kinds of different places. But if we look specifically at uh Israel and Palestine, that is um that is more of a um, like an external mandate, and literally a mandate, that's what it was called. But, um, you know, land was forcibly taken from Palestine and given to a newly created state of people who did not live in the area previously. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there were, there were some Jews living in, uh, in Palestine before then, but most of the, most of the inhabitants of the newly created state of Israel were, uh, you know, part of the diaspora. They were, they were coming from other parts of the world. Uh, and the Caucasus region. What's that? <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, um, you know, I, I think it was the six day war. Uh, I think that's the, the right one that I'm thinking of where, Essentially, they were created and, you know, the state, the nation was created and then it was immediately attacked by, uh, like, Jordan and Syria and, um, and Israel was able to fight them off. And um, since then, there, there have been, there was the, uh, the Yom Kippur War, right. um, but there have also been, um, like, excursions or incursions, I guess yeah. I, should, I should say, uh, that... So over the years, Israel has occupied land that was outside of the land they were they were initially established on, and um, and they 
th- that in and of itself is a violation of international yeah. law. I was actually I wanted to break that down because uh, that's something that I came across too that I was wanting to ask was like, so speaking of those incursions, uh, that's like that's policy in order to essentially like land grab, right? Yeah, and that that's that's what I was saying is that it's like in violation of international law. Like you're not supposed to just take land by conquest these days. And they're literally just going over there and kicking people out of their homes, and it's like this is my this is my stuff now. Like it's crazy, and like the government will back it up because a, because someone of that you know ethno that I can't remember the, the term she <laughs> used, but someone of that lineage happens to be there and they kick the, the Palestinian person out. That's wild. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. And it's and so uh, just going around, just like kicking people out of their homes. And that, like, now it's Jewish, like, or, you know, whomever it is. Like, well, and, and the, <laughs> as a side note, there's, oh there, there is some, some linguistic complexity to this whole topic because, um, like Jew is both mm-hmm. an ethnicity and a religion. And you can be one without being the other, or you can be both. There are other terms, um, like Israeli refers to uh, people of the state of Israel, but it can also be um, like Hebraic is another term that you can use to describe, I I think, specifically people who are ethnically Jewish. Um, And... There's also, uh, as a as a fairly minor note, um, anti-Semitic is a bad word to describe what it describes right. because I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Semitic does not mean Jewish. <laughs> Semitic means like a speaker of a Semitic language. Right. So Ethiopians are also Semitic. Right. They are Semites. <laughs> Same with Arabs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Persians are Semitic, although I don't know why that would be because as far as i know uh farsi meets all of the like requirements to be considered a semitic language but i think it's just because the like the history of it is separate from arabic i don't know anyway so all that is said <laughs> all that said um Uh, I shouldn't have gone on that tangent because I don't remember what we were saying. Um, but we were talking about uh, like evictions of People Palestinian families right. from homes and, and then being filled by, you know, by Jewish residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was there was an interview with a guy from Long Island who who was like put into a Palestinian home and um, and just fully justified why he was there like it like it was his right to be there in rhode island long island long island excuse me yeah no a guy who went from long island to palestine oh my god and was was put into a a formerly palestinian home and thought that that was a completely okay thing to do that's interesting yeah and it, it is um it's it's important to talk about Zionism. How much do you know about that? I keep hearing the term, but usually it's used by white supremacists. Yes. Um, and, and them sites are wild, bro. <laughs> so Zionism is the belief that, um, that Jews uh, occupying 
I think specifically Jerusalem, but like the Holy Land yeah. is a necessary condition to bring about um, the second coming. Uh, well, like, isn't it supposed to be like imminentizing the echelon or something like that, where you're trying to bring the coming, you're trying to bring the coming of the second Christ, like so, something like that. And fulfill prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. And imminentize the eschaton. It's a very interesting concept. Yes. If you ever get to read that up, I highly recommend it. So <laughs> go ahead. Um, so Zionism is a belief shared by, you know, I, I, I couldn't speculate, but, you know, some some percentage of religious Jews. Um, but it's also huge in the evangelical community. And that is where, um, like, the majority of Israel's most fervent support comes from is white evangelical Christians. Right. And, you know, we, we've had more than a few of those in the White House in the last several decades. Yeah. And, uh, and... Sounds like a requirement. <laughs> go ahead. Not quite, but, but pretty close. It seems like it's a box that has to get checked off, that's all I'm saying, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, and, and that's where it gets really crazy when you yeah. consider that, that our presidents are supporting Israel because they're trying to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. Like yeah. that is literally what is going through their minds when they when they support Israel. It, it's really a scary concept. It really terrifies me. Like these people literally have the levers of power, and if they could, if they want to will it, which they're trying to do, like you could make it look like it was the end of the world. It could be because you were the ones making it look like that. Like <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's really scary to think that those kind of people have that the levers of power. I mean, I think uh, what was her name? Uh, Sarah Palin, I think she was a big believer of that, if I remember right. Oh, I'm sure she was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have young lis- listeners listening, but Sarah Palin was the former governor of, of Alaska that ran for uh, vice president with, uh, with McCain. John McCain. And that was one of the weirdest, that was one of the strangest duos, campaigns that we've seen. But obviously, 45 took the cake, but that was a, anyways. Yeah, she believed that stuff, and that was the first time I ever even had the concept. And, you know, that's through our government, governors and senators and presidents. Yeah. <laughs> but, wild. you know, Zionism creates um, a really interesting paradox where, uh, you know, obviously, like, white supremacists hate Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which is weird. <laughs> well, I mean— Y- you know, <laughs> so um, so white supremacists hate Jews, but a lot of them, uh, like Richard Spencer, right. um, is a strong supporter of Israel and thinks that the U.S. should emulate Israel's uh, Jewish ethnostate model. He just wants a white, excuse me, he just wants a white ethnostate. So hates Jews, but supports Israel. I'm just shaking my head over here. I just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, you know, people are confusing. people come in multitudes <laughs> <laughs> or contain multitudes. I think is the phrase. Um, hey, get your boy under control, Tatsuya. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, your boy? <laughs> I just fuck with him. That's what you mean. He's wild, though. I sorry. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, like yeah. So, so all of this, um, you know, we've been we've been kind of circling around the issue for a bit. Uh, but what we're what we're talking about ultimately today is is statehood. So why Israel obviously is a state. They have 
you know, not just a government, but a a very powerful government. They are they have one of the most well-funded and technologically advanced militaries in the world. They've got a a like mind-bogglingly um strong intelligence apparatus like the the Mossad yeah. is frightening. Yeah, they're very sophisticated. Uh yeah, sophisticated. That's 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 a better word. Yeah. I was struggling there for a second. I got you. So, um but Palestine they they have a government but they're not allowed to exert any sort of autonomy from Israel. Uh you know, they they live within Israel-occupied territories. And there there have been issues, you know, people are going to, to mention how, like, uh, I think Jordan had a huge population of Palestinians and, and expelled them, and uh, probably Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't remember exactly which country, but, but there was also an ethnic cleansing of, Palestine, of Palestinians within, again, probably Saudi Arabia. Um... So uh, there's there are issues even within like the Middle East supporting Palestine in a way that's not just like opposing Israel because that that's also an issue in the Middle East is just opposing the very existence of Israel which uh, again we can talk about root causes and whatnot but it's important yeah, it is. Like the, it is just a factor. Yeah. So um so all of this kind of plays into uh Palestine being or not being a state. You know, again, most of the world um recognizes Palestine as a state or at the very least has uh like diplomatic relationships with them, but um, Palestine doesn't have the opportunity to be a state with their current circumstances because they are, uh, you know, they're kept in what is frequently and accurately referred to as an open air prison. Yeah. Um, they are subject to very draconian laws. You know, there have been multiple reports of like children being beaten by the police for, for carrying a Palestinian flag. That's crazy. It, it is even, and it isn't. Even what's even crazier too is like their their capital was literally just taken like last year, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. It was literally or it moved. Like, how can you represent yourself when people are literally taking your capital? Like, like they literally took the capital and moved it somewhere else. Yeah. It's wild. Like, I I just, uh, man. Yeah, and then like, how obviously, can you, how can you do things the right way? This quote-unquote right way, if there is a right way. You're taking their capital, you're literally both their capital and their capital. <clears throat> you're moving them. This diaspora, and now you're just, you're packing them into this little area. Like you said, it's open prison. And then you're saying, well, stop being mad. Stop, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you try to do this? Why don't you try to do that? Two-state solution, this and that, right? Like, Well, and, that, and that's just it. Like, you hear talk about a two-state <clears throat> solution, but how can you have a two-state solution if you don't recognize one of the states? Exactly. It's, it's it's so it's said not a state. Like uh it sounds like that double speak that uh <laughs> about. It, it is. 
Yeah, I mean, stop punching yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop getting mad. Like, for real, that's what it seems like. Like they're gaslighting the hell out of these people. Like it's really messed up. It's really messed up. Not it's really. Uh, yeah, bro. Like I don't know. Uh, it's kind of obviously we'll talk about it eventually, but it sounds like there's a lot of similarities if you start looking around the world, even just in our own country, but. Well, I, I think that's that's as good a jumping off point as any. So um, uh, now that we've clearly solved the Israel-Palestine thing. Yeah, shake hands, like <laughs> stop being in people's houses. So that there are, um, you know, you can draw comparisons. The, the best, the closest parallel to Israel-Palestine that I can think of, and this isn't just my... Uh, uh, you know, my, my college degree in knows stuff about China speaking, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you can look at the PRC China, um, and look at a number of different, uh, areas within and without China that, um, could and arguably should be their own separate states. And, you know, what one well, actually, let's look at two of them. You have Tibet and Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. And Tibet is home to the Tibetans, right. obviously. Uh, so they are uh, ethnically distinct from the, the Han majority of China. They uh, speak a different language. They have their own distinct religion. And religion is is not super uh, welcomed in in the PRC anyway. Um, But you also have Xinjiang, which is home to the Uyghurs. Uh, Uyghurs is... Let's say that again. Uyghur. And I'm probably probably overpronouncing that a little bit, but it's it's more like that than Uyghur, but but Uyghur is is hard for, you know, a CNN anchor to say. Yeah. so they are they are also ethnically distinct. They um, they have a a Turkic language that they speak, um, and they are majority Muslim. So you have and these are Xinjiang and Tibet are both enormous areas. Right. Like the, the crazy thing about China is not just that they have like four times the population of the U.S. on roughly the same amount of land. Like the the landmass of the U.S. and and the PRC is is extremely close. Mm. They are almost exactly the same size. But imagine if like both Alaska and Texas were mostly uninhabited. Right. So let's imagine that imagine that basically only the eastern U.S had any kind of like population density mm. and quadrupled a population and that is basically China. That's crazy. Yeah. So um you know there are there are reasons that um that the PRC is holding on to these territories. Um again we, we can talk about history because both of them are like are or historically have been part of China. And because China has, you know, China as a, as a nation, as a, as a state has fluctuated wildly 
in in its landmass over its over the course of its existence. You know, you go back to um, the Mongolian Empire, which was part of Chinese history, and that covered most of Asia and yeah. parts of Europe, um, and I, I think maybe even into bits of Africa. But I, I could oh, be wow. mis I could be that. misremembering. Um, so, you know, depending on where you draw the goalposts, you know, you could make a case for a, a for a massive amount of the world's uh, land mass and population being like historically part of China. So th- it, there is a little hairiness anytime you uh, you you try to make that argument. So even though Tibet has, you know, has has been conquered by the Chinese in the past and are currently, you know, conquered by them, um, but they are a completely separate people that don't really have the the common history with China that most of what is considered the PRC has had. You know, you you go but you go down to like the south of China, and there are like minority ethnic groups and um, and linguistic enclaves and things like that. But they have a pretty established history of being part of China that Tibet and Xinjiang don't have. And Tibet, I don't think, really has much in the way of natural resources either. Like most of Tibet is extremely high altitude, is uh, like not much can grow there. Um, I don't think they have like huge mineral deposits or anything. Uh, Xinjiang does have resources though, um, and that's that's you know again part of why why the PRC is holding on to them. But it's also there's a completely different. Um, like you, you can you can look to U.S. history for for a little insight into into why you know they're not letting go of Tibet or Xinjiang, right? Because you know for the same reason that the U.S. didn't want to let go of the Confederate States, right? That you know they they were part of the U.S. and letting them go, even if they had a a more perfect union without them. That would still represent a loss of, well, a loss of resources, a loss of uh, power, a loss of like cultural, I don't know if prestige is the right word, but like integrity, basically, that even if they didn't want to be part of the U.S. anymore, if they wanted to be their own, you know, slave country, uh, like the, the U.S., wasn't going to let them go and that's you, you can you can imagine the same kind of calculations happening in China that you know let let's they could they could decide that they just have no use for Tibet that it's not worth it for them to hold on to it but if they let Tibet go they look weak mm-hmm. and they lose like even though it's not technically an empire anymore you know PR the PRC, the PRC, China, ugh, uh, <laughs> you know, would, would, you know, kind of lose face in, in the international community if they, if they let 
Tibet Go or Xinjiang, or if they allowed Hong Kong to make to become independent, or if they stopped trying to insist that Taiwan is part of China. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, which part? Well, just like I didn't even know what to call that. That what? country. I don't even know what to call that country right now. Oh, Taiwan? Yeah. Because I know that's very controversial right now as well. Like, I mean, it's so... Like um, people get in a lot of trouble just reading mentioning the names. Like, it reminds me of, like, Harry Potter or something like that. Like, like Voldemort? No. Uh, so he shall not be named. <laughs> so Taiwan, um, for listeners who don't know, was um, the island where the nationalist government fled after the communists won the Chinese Civil War. So they were obviously very weakened. They were on a fairly small island, um, but they still claimed to be the legitimate government of China. Um, And they kept that up until... um, uh, what was Chiang Kai-shek's son? So Chiang Kai-shek was the leader of the uh, of the nationalist government, and he was the leader of Taiwan. And then his son, Chiang Qingguo, I think was his name, um, took over and was... Th- this is a little bit of a side, side issue, but... Um, so when we think about these like capitalist versus communist uh, governments in all of these divided nations, um, we we tend to think of the the capitalist side of things being uh, like democracies and being a place where people were free, and uh, in most of them that is that was just absolutely not the case at all like taiwan was a dictatorship south korea was a dictatorship um south vietnam was was a dictatorship um and it was only starting in like the 70s or 80s where where they started to open up and thanks to henry kissinger i mean i I, i'm hesitant to thank him for anything but uh but uh so I say nothing. <laughs> that is a powerful dude. Oh, he powerful, yes. That is a powerful dude. I'm not saying things didn't happen because of him. I'm just not in a hurry to thank him for anything he did. So anyway, um, so uh, yeah, t- like these days, Taiwan is arguably like the most democratic place in the world. Um, yeah. But they are officially. And, and by officially, I mean, uh, okay, let me take a step back. Taiwan is effectively, like in reality, they are a fully independent state. They have their own economy. They have their own system of government. They have like nothing to do with the PRC. And ROC, Republic of China, is the kind of official name of Taiwan, so you have the Republic of China and you have the People's Republic of China. Um, so for all intents and purposes, Taiwan is an independent state. But because China, because the PRC considers Taiwan part of its territory, it uh, uses its economic leverage 
to essentially force other nations not to recognize Taiwanese statehood. So that is that is what that situation is about. It's very interesting. And uh, wasn't there? Uh, sorry to jump in real quick, but wasn't there? Uh, wasn't there some like British? Wasn't the British involved with with the control of Taiwan for a long time? And no, you're thinking of Hong Kong. Hong, oh, okay. Yeah, Hong Kong was. Okay. Yeah, Hong Kong was a colony of the British until I want to say 1997. It. Um, that like the contract was up yeah, <laughs> essentially exactly. the, you know yeah. the, the british empire had loaned the island from from at, at the time the the chinese empire um for a hundred years right. and i i could be wrong but i think 97 is when that loan um uh, expired so it was just returned to the prc and uh hong kong he has money uh, it is very, very economically powerful, and uh, because of that, uh, the PRC uh, has governed with a fairly light touch in Hong Kong compared to the rest of China because, like, they don't want to step on all of Hong Kong's advantages. Don't mess with the money. <laughs> very saying. much, yes. Yeah, I definitely understand and respect that. Um, but you know, Hong Kong could definitely make a case for, for its own statehood. And what, what is it that, that makes them not a state versus like, obviously if like Shanghai wanted to be its own state, you know, that they speak a different language, but they, no, Shanghainese actually Cantonese is the South. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) 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 but, uh, so like if Shanghai made a case for being an independent state, you know, there are fewer factors working in their favor, uh, because Shanghai has been part of China for like, as long as there's been China, um, and it's gone through all of like Chinese history and it's been part of the PRC since its inception. Um, and it doesn't have like, again, that, the like ethnic distinction. It's, it's not culturally really that distinct from say Beijing, um, in a way that, that you could make a strong case that they should be independent. Now, obviously if they wanted to be, like financially, economically independent, um, they could definitely make that argument because Shanghai also got money. Mm. But uh, you know that's and really the problem with all of this is that there is a huge degree of subjectivity to all of it. So, like, if Shanghai wants to be independent. You know what? What right do they have to to seek independence or claim independence versus something like Tibet or Xinjiang, right. who have, uh, I would say, much stronger claims um, and you know a fair amount of of external support. Like if Shanghai wanted to be independent, who would really support them? That's a trick question, I guess. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, obviously there's, you know, the U.S. has been supporting Taiwan and probably single-handedly preserving their their autonomy. For good reason. 
Yeah, yeah. Taiwan is becoming the most powerful country in the world. Well, but it's also strategically super important Extreme because important. because you know we're never going to rule out the possibility of a land war with China, which would be uh, just so bad for everyone. Yeah, Taiwan. Yeah, I didn't realize until this year how critical that country is to the world. The world would stop. And so there's a reason why there's a lot of going back and forth. I'm just trying to put all that together. It's very interesting. It is very interesting. I had no idea that semiconductors were running our world the way that it was until we had the heart attack that we've had. And Oh, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, yeah that's that's true. That is that that is the crown jewel of the world like right now. That's what other than oil. Yeah, like ta- Taiwanese manufacturing is definitely um, super important. I had no idea. Like, And yeah, so like they're caught in the middle of everything like. They're just like, hey, we have the infrastructure, but like, you know, they got big clients, big, very powerful clients that have a vested interest in trying to keep <laughs> at least their semiconductors going. Which yeah, and unlike unlike Palestine or um, you know Tibet or Xinjiang, like the lack of the relative lack of international recognition of their statehood hasn't really hurt them that much. Right. You know, they are able to exert their autonomy to a sufficient level you know obviously they would prefer to be recognized by the entire world and not have that uh, that sort of damocles over their head i might be misusing that term but yeah, i was like what word <laughs> okay the, the sort of damocles uh is a greek myth there was like a sword that was just suspended over someone's head. This is not a myth I'm super familiar with. I could I could tell you a lot about like you know other myths, but but this one I'm a little shaky on. Um, and I don't remember why it was suspended, but it represents um, like a looming threat that that is always there. Um, that you know if if any number of seemingly insignificant things happen, things could get. Very, very bad for Taiwan, because if China, if the PRC decided to, like, invade and retake Taiwan, they easily could from a military standpoint, unless, you know, unless the U.S. just fully goes to war with them. And I mean, they're not far away, aren't they? They're. I mean, they're in the South China Sea, aren't they? Yeah, Taiwan is not super far from from China, from the mainland. Um, shoot, it's on, at least on the map, it seems like it's just a, a pinch further than, uh, I don't know, it's probably the equivalent of like what, from here to Seattle or something like that. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. And it's not far at all. Yeah. So, I, but, you know, then I, I don't know, like you said, it could be extremely disruptive. It would actually do a lot more harm than good by doing a, a physical land grab like that, like what, what's happening over there in Hong Kong or the... You know, the takeover in Hong Kong and their government, it was quite hostile, if I remember right. Uh, was it like two years ago? Oh, you mean like all the protests? Yeah. Yeah. That, th- was, that was a PRC going in and like messing with their politics. I, well, I mean, that's the, the PRC, strictly speaking, doesn't need to go into Hong Kong. It's it's there, but they they kind of. Uh, they they let Hong Kong be a little more autonomous, but uh, not completely. Uh, so the the protests were, and this I, I'm not like I'm definitely not an expert on this part either. But that was uh, it was more about uh, like labor rights 
but they they were um, very disruptive uh, strikes, basically. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, and uh, and you know they they set a very good example for uh, like Antifa protesters oh, here. No, they know how to protest. Those yeah. people there know how to protest. Oh my god, I've never seen anything like it. They're highly coordinated, and they move fast. Yeah, and they uh, they know that you can like put a traffic cone over right. a <laughs> over a gas grenade and, yeah. and and pour water into it. Or they start you know using their umbrellas and they start having the, you know the laser lights and stuff like that too. I, I was. It's like, whoa, whoa. And they're very aggressive at taking down drones and all that stuff, too. Like, I don't know. Anyways, here we are. Like, it's, it's almost like the, what was that one cookbook? Oh, the anarchist <laughs> cookbook. <laughs> here we are discussing it on here. <laughs> Not that we're advocating for anarchy or nothing like that. Oh, God. But, I, I definitely downloaded that when I was like 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyways. So, yeah, it's, it, so I, I guess I mixed it up. I apologize. I. I, you know, I saw that going on, and then you start seeing the stuff going on with Hong Kong. I, I, I apologize. I, de- I definitely mixed those up. But. It's, it's possible I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, uh, the Hong Kong, uh, all of that was about like labor rights. Okay. They, they were labor strikes. Okay. That, uh, you know, it turns out governments don't really like uh, when when laborers stand up for their rights. Mm. I like we, all of us uh, have that in common. Yeah. Which is another theme of our podcast. Yes. Um, But actually, this gives us a pretty good jumping off point to, um, you know, what to, to, you know, issues of statehood within the U.S. Mm -hmm. Because um, I I don't want to to shock any of our listeners, but uh, there were some people that lived here before the Europeans. And uh, who? They call them Injuns. No, um, <laughs> the Native Americans. Native <laughs> uh, so, obviously, the entire uh, area that is now the United States was originally inhabited by, di- you know, different tribes of Native Americans. And over the course of, you know, the last, you know, few hundred years, um, the those people have been displaced and moved. Well, yes, that too. And also just murdered, but, um, but they've been, you know, their lands have been taken from them. And, but in the process, there were also a number of treaties that the federal government signed with, you know, various tribes that are why, why there are now like reservations and like and why tribes have like sovereignty mm. now this is a very qualified sovereignty and the reservations i don't want to make it seem like they were a gift to the native americans because they super weren't right. uh they were uh, essentially concentration camps yeah. and uh funny not funny story um hitler was super inspired by the reservation system and uh, modeled a big part of the final solution on that. I had no idea about that. Oh yeah, uh, Hitler was actually inspired by a lot of uh, a lot of American uh, great ideas. Sounds like 
all have something in common. I know America was definitely enamored by what the Nazis did, which why they had Operation Paperclip uh, and took a bunch of their scientists after World War II. But I mean, that's that's slightly different. Like it, it, they they admired r- the, the, the admi- <laughs> admiring the ingenuity of yes. Nazi scientists is not in any way endorsing the specific things they were doing with them. I would say otherwise. Well, <laughs> if you, if you admire uh, uh, the 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 Dallas Cowboys, I'm sure you would like a few of their players. Um, if you're in the football game. Well, I mean, we're mixing metaphors pretty badly right now, are but um, you, these people are dra- they're drafting. Aren't they drafting? You would say that they're drafting. Well, I mean, if you if you drafted um, Brett Favre from the Yankees. That was that was totally deliberate okay. because I care that little about sports. Go ahead. Um, but I know that that's both the wrong team and the wrong sport, um, just so everyone's aware. Uh, so that doesn't mean that you admire the Yankees. It just means that that player, y- you see the value of that player. Um, all right. All right. <laughs> Bad analogy. Um, but otherwise, so, like, it, yeah. So, so anyway, um, Native Americans... The, if they belong to a tribe that is still recognized and uh, they are supposed to have sovereignty, which essentially just just means like limited immunity from certain U.S. laws. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have the ability to uh, to self-governance um, or they have the right to self-governance. Um, they are not subject to, uh, well, it's not that they're not subject to state law necessarily, but like if they are, uh, if they are on trial, they can only be tried in a uh, federal court, not a state court. Um, so, crazy. yeah, I mean, they they theoretically have sovereignty, but. The federal government hasn't done a very impressive job of honoring the treaties that it signed with the various tribes, and uh, they are also like super underfunded, and they have um, like a a native law enforcement officer cannot um, arrest a non-native for crimes committed on native land. So they they are they're hamstrung from enforcing even their own laws. And that's that's a big part of why uh, Native women are uh, sexually assaulted at just absolutely staggering rates because because the natives don't have any ability to uh, like prosecute offenders and. Just like what happens with uh, with a lot of you know African Americans who are caught up in the criminal justice system, there just like isn't enough concern for for what happens to them, for the uh, for the federal government to to intervene and and make sure that all of this goes as it should. So yeah, it drags the speed on justice. And what's that? Then it drags the speed on delivering justice. Yeah, that's supposed to be the justice system. Yeah, well, just like, um, you know, I, I read a while back that um, 
like serial killers don't really exist anymore. Um, we just have mass shooters. Unless you have a gun. Well, but I mean, like people who kill one person at a time, you know, every so often over the course of just years and years, like that doesn't really exist anymore, partly because, uh, like everyone has cell phones and it's just harder to get away with. Uh, but also like it used to be part of the reason that, that serial killers, that so many of them were able to operate for so long is that, uh, a lot of them targeted prostitutes and like killing a prostitute was just was barely considered a crime at all. Yeah, you can you probably get more trouble for killing a pet. Well, yeah, that's probably true. It's probably still true to this day, actually. But go ahead. So, anyway, uh, so all of that is to say that uh, that Native Americans theoretically have statehood. You know, the like the Puyallup tribe right. uh, nearby where where we live, or you know, I grew up on the Muckleshoot Reservation. Um, what what other what other tribes do we have around here? Uh, the the uh, Homa tribe and uh, like Nisqually. Nisqually. Yeah. yeah. The Nes was it not the Nes Pierce. Nes Pierce, I think, is on the East Coast. But what's the other one? Was that there was like the Nes something. There's a whole bunch of tribes around here. Yeah. There's a yeah. In our region, we have a lot. Yeah, and that's yeah. Um, that is potentially a complicating factor it because <laughs> because Native American statehood would mean that, you know, Muckleshoots are a state, mm-hmm. Puyallup are a state, Tahoma, you know, all of these, it wouldn't be a state of Native Americans. Right. I mean, they could try that, but that wouldn't work because they, you know, because the tribes encompass basically all of America, mm-hmm. because apart from, like, the Trail of Tears, uh, most of the Native Americans still live Roughly close to where they they lived before the arrival of the Europeans, yeah. so and those land masses have been getting smaller. Yeah, so if 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 Native Americans as a block were to have a state, it would basically be the same land mass as the U.S., and that's not really practicable. Right, but there's no way. But what about granting statehood to the tribes, which they are supposed to essentially have already? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I thought they did. I, I mean, they do and they don't. Like, you know, you can, if you're on tribal land, mm-hmm. if you're on, like, Puyallup tribal land, you're still in the state of Washington. Right. You're still in, you know, Tacoma or Puyallup or whatever city you happen to be in. Mm-hmm. So they're not... They're not functional states in in that same way. It's, yeah, it's messed up because like because in order to give them actual statehood, meaningful statehood, they would have to have their own territorial integrity. They would have to have jurisdiction over their own lands, and that is obviously something that the the government is not going to give them. What does that mean? To what have it, a jurisdiction? Uh, well, like again, because. Um, like tribal police really only have jurisdiction over members of the tribe. So a a Puyallup tribal police officer mm-hmm. can arrest a member of the Puyallup tribe. But if if you or I went on to tribal land and committed a crime, they can't really do anything to us. 
It's just like the Palestinians, it sounds like. It sounds exactly like what we do to the Palestinians, or what happens with the Palestinians over there. I mean, there are definitely parallels. I mean, because these are supposed to be functioning autonomous land masses that have these people uh, that have, you know, the Americans on their their land, and they can't even enforce their own laws unless they have the blessing of some other country that... Yeah, they're that, that assumed them. <laughs> they're they're autonomous in all of the ways that our federal government will allow them to be. Yeah. So that's not autonomy. No, it's not. It's permission. And yeah, you're not a state if you have to seek permission from somebody else. Then you're not autonomous. Yeah. Um. Oh, that in and of itself is is interesting. Um, and I, I know the city council they do a lot of they communicate quite regularly they actually have a flag in the hall of um, with a piala tribe yeah um yeah uh, i've seen some of their uh some of their uh celebrations that they did it's pretty it's pretty dope like the piala tribe is very regular down there but um you know at least tacoma and i'm sure there's a lot of other municipalities around the country that try to um try to respect that autonomy and that's uh, that's it's great, but at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, like the the <laughs> the municipality um, can't really do anything because like the reservations were established by Congress, right. and you know, like the city of Tacoma couldn't like cede some of its land to the to the Puyallup tribe in any kind of permanent sense. Like they couldn't establish the nation of Puyallup mm. within the state of Washington, let alone, you know, anywhere in the U.S. without the federal government doing that. And that is super not going to happen. The thing I always say at the end of the day, when it comes to rules and law, he who has the biggest toys wins. It really is that simple. Unless you got a bigger toy, it's pretty hard to push back. I don't care who you are. Yeah, but e- even even beyond Native Americans, there's there's a separate Sad. issue of statehood within the U.S. that uh, that you don't really hear um, because it because it never happened on any on any level, and that is with African Americans. Mm-hmm. So after emancipation, you know the the freed slaves, black people broadly speaking, were theoretically full equal citizens under the law and uh is that true <laughs> uh no uh <laughs> to, 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 an- <laughs> to answer for isaac uh no that wasn't true um that there have been you know for for any listeners who are that. unaware of this what's that i said that i know <laughs> anyways go ahead um Man, I was gonna make a joke. What what is that uh, that African language that that uses like clicks and? I can't remember. Yeah, I cannot remember. Um, anyway, moving yeah. on. Moving yeah. on from a failed joke. Um, you know, so since since the end of slavery, you know, black people have been subjected to very unequal treatment under the law. And they have been systematically oppressed in numerous ways. Uh, and in spite of that, uh, some of them do succeed and thrive. And that brings us to Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. 
in the 1920s, in the, well, mostly the teens, um, because of what happened in 1921. But uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, specifically the, I think it was called Greenwood uh, District, um, was um, populated primarily by African Americans, and it was a very uh, thriving place uh, economically. It was called Black Wall Street. It was it was by far like the most economically successful um, area inhabited, like primarily by black people. I'm I'm not. It's one it, of them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't. It, it's it's a popular example because of what happened. Yeah. It, it's not the. Uh, prime example but definitely okay it's definitely up there okay yeah so anyway so there were there were black people who were running businesses and doing well for themselves and that uh obviously couldn't stand so god forbid yeah so there was an incident in 1921 where a a young black man was accused of uh, I don't think it was even, like, accused of assaulting. I think he was just accused of, like, looking. talking bad to a young white woman. And who knows whether or not that actually happened. Um, but that, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, there were, like, massive riots. And, and when I say riots, I mean that basically that entire uh, part of town was... Uh, like aerially bombed. Yeah. That is not an exaggeration. It was it was just leveled. It wasn't just a riot. I mean, they, yeah, they brought planes. Like they brought planes to the fight from the military. Yeah, like the military literally bombed. The uh, well, I think they were mostly private planes, if no. if not entirely. But it was the military. Yeah. Again, that's. It almost doesn't even matter because it does. Actually, I think that makes it worse. When you have a state-sanctioned terrorism on a metropolitan city, that is wild. Well, uh, okay, let me walk that back. What I what I mean when I say that 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 distinction doesn't matter that much is because, like, the military would also have been like populated by the same sorts of people who were doing who were citizens in the area who were doing all of that same stuff. So, like, the difference between a private citizen with an airplane and someone in the in the army air corps whatever they would have called it at the time is fairly negligible i, I don't know about that i think state sanctioned terrorism is significantly more significantly worse right? uh, yeah okay yeah i'm not i'm not yeah. i'm not just going to dispute I, that inexorably the result that you're referring to yeah i definitely agree yeah it, so it still had the same effect because they were the trained agents of the us government yeah so uh, at the end of the day, um, and we need to take a shot every time one of us says that, apparently, because because that's like five so we'll far. Never, we'll never finish this podcast. <laughs> It'll be a very long one. <laughs> or it would be super short. Everybody be like, I'm turning this shit off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the end result of all of this was that the neighborhood was obliterated and um, a lot of people died and were the ones who survived were left homeless and just all of this, it, it was just erased. Um, and that is 
a direct result of the kind of legal limbo that black people were in, where they're supposed to be citizens, they're supposed to have legal protection, but the 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 state isn't um isn't upholding its end of the bargain, you know, just like with Native Americans. It's like you're these are what the laws are supposed to be, but it doesn't matter what the laws say if we're not actually doing what we need to in order to protect you. Yeah. Oh, let's just create more laws. Because the system is obviously broken. That's what, you know, the United States does. That's their that's their approach to all of it. And it just makes more laws when like you just said. We have the laws on the books. Just enforce it. Probably yeah. should revisit a lot of these laws and take them off the books. How about that? <coughs> just saying. Yeah. So what So we could look at you know that at the Tulsa incident as a microcosm of what could have been considered a a an African American state mm-hmm. within the U.S. Like it was, it was more or less functioning as a as a separate state, but it wouldn't have been allowed to be recognized as such. Right. You know, obviously, just like with the Native Americans, like the government wasn't going to give them that territory and allow them to defend it themselves. No. That's the same thing would happen with like the Black Panthers and everything like that as well, trying to set up their own state. And, and obviously, you know, the United States government set up an apparatus from the <laughs> Justice Department to specifically handle that issue. And... Yeah, they're just not going to let that happen. You're just not going to let your, these people on your land take your stuff. And and there's a, <laughs> there's a little bit of, um, <clears throat> of again, I, I don't think prestige is the right word, but, like, if the government had given black people, you know, the, the freed slaves... The 40 acres a, of fuel? No, I mean, if they had... Mm-hmm. N- n- not if they had actually... Um, freed them in reality rather than just on paper. Uh, what I mean is uh, if they had allowed freed slaves to establish a, a separate state, you know, on U.S. territory, like that would have that would have kind of made them look bad because obviously the Civil War didn't make them look bad on its own. But <laughs> but setting that aside, um, like that that could have been a solution uh, but it's completely academic. Like, that was just not in the cards. That was never going to happen. I mean, freed slaves had to go back to Africa to establish a their own state, and that's what we now call Liberia. And right. it, I, it was probably called Liberia at the time, too. But, yeah, I don't remember what it was called before, but yeah. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe if we look into, the, into Liberia's history, there were also some, like— uh, some kind of Israel-Palestine issues with the people who were already living there. I don't oh, know. Oh, definitely. No, I think it was the Spaniards. The Spaniards. Uh, oh well, then who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not the Palestinians this time, but yeah, I think the uh, Spain. I know they have a pretty complicated relationship in history. Um, if I remember right from a little bit of reading that I did on that. I don't, I don't think Spain really got into Africa at they all. Did. Oh, definitely. I think Spain's like. I think Spain's right over uh, Liberia. And well, yeah, it's it's geographically close, but um, but I don't. I think they used to have, I, I, 
I, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty, I, I feel like I was pretty sure on that one um, where they. Well, I, I don't know. It was if definitely the, like a slave trade that used to go on back and forth. Like I think Spain had conquered Liberia before. Uh, okay, that that might be true. And a lot of people. Uh, and then when I think it was the Moors, the Moors that went there, and I, I think it goes all the way back to the Moors, if I remember right, where the Moors from Africa came up and had conquered Spain. And there's been, I don't know. I have to look that up. I feel like I'm pretty. I feel like I'm pretty sure I'm butchering it a little bit, but that is the there's a little bit of contentious history. Yeah. With that, but to say the least. But um, I I don't know. I thought the uh, <clears throat> like the Treaty of Tordesillas uh, kept Spain out of Africa for the most part. Um, do you know about that? No. So the Treaty of Tordesillas was uh, the result of a dispute between Spain and Portugal over colonizing the New World, mm-hmm. um, and basically the Pope. You know, drew a line on a map that that said, "Okay, Spain can have this part of of South America, and Portugal can have this part." And um, because the map was drawn poorly, the line uh, basically only gave Portugal the rights to Brazil. So that's why Brazil, well, that's why Brazilians speak Portuguese, and the rest of South America speak Spanish. Yeah. Because of a line on a map, which, again, just brings us back to everything we've been talking about today. Carving up the world and telling people what they are and aren't. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. I don't think interesting is the right word. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, when I think of Africa, um, like, African uh, colonialism, it's mainly, like, France, Britain. Um, there was a little bit of, uh, like, the Dutch. Mm-hmm. The Dutch... At one oh, point, held uh, South Africa. Uh, Belgium did its whole thing with the Congo. Yeah, thanks. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Leopold Second, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. I think and he is not talked about enough. I think he was the most rapacious slave owner in the world. I think he had the most out of every slave owner. It was like 10 million or something like that. Could be. And like, I mean, the, the, it just the, the brutality was, of what happened in the Belgian Congo is like none of African history, none of African like colonial history is fun to talk about, but that is the darkest. No pun intended. Yeah. The brutality of what happened there. We still don't know the history of what happened there because that whole region has been just completely ravaged and I'm sure their history has been plundered thoroughly. And they, and they couldn't write their history down because they didn't have hands. Seriously. It is. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm sorry. My voice is starting to go, but yeah. Um, anyways, sorry, we're digressing a little bit. I mean, I mean, we are, but we aren't because it all ties together. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got all of these freed slaves in America and they're supposed to be full and equal citizens, but they're not. And we, you know, I say we, I mean like the federal government, um, obviously isn't willing to grant them a separate statehood. Um, and I mean, it, even if that happened, they would have just like shoved them off. They would have said like, okay, Haiti is yours now. Right. So that that's what that would have looked like yeah. um, if it had happened. But and since since black people didn't have, you know, any kind of statehood, they didn't have 
legal protections that they were supposed to have. That's why things like the the Tulsa race massacre happened. That's why that's why Black Wall Street doesn't exist anymore. And if, if you've seen the Watchmen TV show, yeah, that say. that incident comes up uh, a lot of a lot throughout the show. Yeah, that I think that really put it into the the uh, you know, pop culture and put it into the veins of America because. Yeah, it wasn't talked about when I was researching this stuff. It was back in like 2015 when I found out about it. Um, and it was only like last year that it's it really that popularized. Well, and it's only like last year that Oklahoma law requires schools to teach about it. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that Oklahoma, it's interesting how Oklahoma would have recognized that, but it's very well known that that is a red state, and, but they won't recognize critical race theory. But anyways. You recognize the Black Wall Street stuff, but you won't recognize critical race theory. Okay, all right, bet. Yeah, like maybe maybe some critical race theory would uh, would give you some context on why that happened, or no, I'd... no, I don't want to hear it. La, nope, la, nope, la, nope. La, 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 la. <laughs> That's what they do. It's crazy. Like I don't know. Once we wrestle with our history, and we're all honest with each other and ourselves. I shouldn't say each other, ourselves, as a country. I don't know, I'm tired of talking about this shit, man. I'm sorry. I'm getting mad. Like, they just don't want to recognize that at all. And, like, they literally rebuff what has been almost categorically shown to be true. Like, the research is... It's very well-founded. And, I don't know. That's just the playbook. They don't recognize it. I'm going to do this. This is what I say. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'm starting to ramble again. Getting, <laughs> I, I do that when I start getting really mad. Well, uh, then, then it might be a good time to uh, bring this to a close. Do you have any last hey, thoughts? No, I, I, we probably should block that out. I, <laughs> that was pretty poor uh, podcast material, but just hearing me just going rah, rah, rah. Yeah, Rassum, rassum. Yeah, please get that off of there. <laughs> um, yeah, and I did, like you said, just, uh, it seems like it's a playbook at the end of the day, and the playbook just keeps getting played over and over. You know, a lot of us are becoming awakened to our history. And uh, once you, I think feel like once you recognize it and once you see and you talk about it and, you know, realize what's happened, you understand your history, you can change your future. And that's something that the United States doesn't do very well with is recognizing its history. And, or maybe it does. It has the version of history that it wants, but. You know, the rest of the world also recognizes the different... Well, the, the U.S. is very good at using history. Yeah, and yeah it's, a, it, it's a tool. I mean, it, I guess the concept of using it as a tool is... Yeah, it's appropriate to say that way. So it can be weaponized, absolutely. But, um, you know, if you understand how to weaponize it, and, you know, from our perspective, like, you know, the 1619 Project, you know, that's definitely a form of you know, saber rattling. You are going head on with history, and you're saying that what you understand is wrong, and is it's powerful. It truly is powerful. So, and we we got to do a lot more of that. We do not necessarily just like on this issue, but like in general, we need to have an honest understanding as world history, because I think that's probably the theme or the thread that kind of weaves between like you know this whole subject that we talked about, right? Yeah, and the the reason it doesn't happen is because if you acknowledge that history is what it is, if you acknowledge history as it actually happened, then 
you are responsible for you know correcting mistakes if yeah. if uh if our forefathers were all you know if they were all wonderful people and everything they did right. was justified then then that makes us awesome by extension you know what makes a lie worse repeating it not just but over time and time makes a lie so much worse yeah, because the the longer we go without addressing things like this, the harder it is to do anything to address it. And that's what they do. I mean, Mitch McConnell, I mean, he's very intentional with that in particular. Um, he's not shy about it, which I respect. Because at least I know where he's standing. <laughs> Seriously, I, I do. I respect people that are out now. I, I'm a call him a racist. He has very racist behavior. And he legislates it. He advocates for it. I'm just going to say it bluntly. But... When you have people like that, that literally will not recognize it, that will push back, rebuff any form of it. Like, I mean, had, they, they are what they're, what they're essentially doing is waiting for people that were affected to die off. Essentially, people that, yes, the ones that were picking cotton and everything like that, which is the argument that they're trying to stand on. Yes, the ones that were picking cotton and everything like that, they probably should be the ones that are the beneficiaries of what the reparation talk that they're talking about now. That's what this whole fight is starting to become about. Um, but Mitch McConnell keeps just kicking the can down the road. Everybody starts dying. And then you're like, well, none of these people, that's the, t- that's the talking point that's going on now. None of these people are alive anymore. You know, oh, they, the people that are talking about it haven't been affected and this and that, this and that. And it's, I don't know, it's a disingenuous way to approach yeah. the issue. I, I, at, at a, at a minimum, it's disingenuous. Yes. It's actually disgusting. Yeah, and I mean, He's a piece of shit. we we I'm may not have man. to wait too too long for Mitch McConnell to die off, and I, I, and maybe man. you know maybe some I things can happen after that. that. But man, he got to go. I don't wish him to die, but he got to go for real. He's been there way too long. Yeah, he just wields way too much power. And this is the incalcitrance that is doing us a lot of harm in this country. When you just have people that have been in, in these positions for forty freaking years, you don't have any change in the thought of this country. This country is a uh, 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 vibrant soup, you know, of ideas and like I I I know it's a bad way to describe it, like, <laughs> but like it, you know, I think of like a stew, you know, like a cauldron. I mean, it's it's supposed to be the the great melting pot. Exactly, and so like when you literally have like that calcified skin that goes on top of like you know the on top of like tomato soup or something like that, like, and you keep trying to scoop out the different ingredients. Exactly, like. So I, I don't know. I'm also hungry, so that's probably why I'm talking about this. <laughs> like, for real, bro, I'm dying. <laughs> I know, I know you are. This is your dinner time. I came late today. I'm so sorry. I got put myself on blast. I was two hours late today. Like, and I, yeah, and I, yeah. So I'm sorry about that. But, but with the soup, back with that, just to close that terrible analogy off. Like, our country has had the same ingredients in this soup for a long time. And it's tasted the same, and people aren't liking it. It's time to put some new ingredients up in there. Put some, you know. Some, I, don't I mean, know. the the problem isn't uh, that it's had the same ingredients because the ingredients keep changing, but uh, some of the ingredients just overpower the other ones. Yeah, that's true. You have a lot of onions and garlic. I think we need to have less onions and garlic. Like, oh, actually, I like onions and garlic. We'll use a different analogy. <laughs> um, no, that's. Yeah, you're, I, I think that's an appropriate way to put it. But anyways, they've been in too long. It's time for them to go because, you know, these essentially these people can run for their whole lifetime. There's people that die in Congress, and that's just not – I don't think that's right. Especially when one of them was Strom Thurmond. Yes. 
and that's what I'm talking about. You have people that think just like him that are still in Congress. And Strom Thurmond didn't even die that long ago, did no, he? He did not. It was like this century, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I'm just saying. So, on that note. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's. Uh, I feel like I keep going back to that every time at the end of these podcasts. Like, no, we it's, it's our, we it get is, our asses out there for real. Like, it's an important point. It needs to be made. They do need to go. They got to go. They got to go. If you've been in there for more than a term, if you, yeah, if you've been in there more than two terms, you got to go. Two terms is a lot. You can do a lot. You can be effective. As a senator, yeah, two terms is twelve years. It's crazy. And there's people that have been there for six terms, like, like Bernie Sanders. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> like, yeah. may, may, maybe three terms. Maybe, maybe once your uh, once your congressional career is old enough to vote, you're gone. <laughs> I mean, our president has term limits, so why not? Why not Congress? Hey, for real. Because Congress are the ones who decide on that. I think we'll have a Congress eventually that will uh, evaluate its abundance um, and reflect our values a little bit better. Um, that is certainly an abundance that's been abused, and it's it, it's costing us. It, we're dealing with those effects. So, like, uh, once we again have a country that is for the people, by the people, for the people, then uh, we'll get some of this change. Like we're seeing some of the change now, but. Uh, there's something to be said for experience. I'm not going to deny that, but you know, our society, I think, needs to reevaluate the kind of people that we put in there. Oh, definitely that. So, like you know, senators probably should be people that either have experience in the house or some state government levels or something like that for you know some time. Like or, uh, like Nina Turner. Hey, do you know what she's doing? Yeah. I, well, she no, I, 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 hey, I I just bring her up as a plug. Hey, you know, vote Nina. Yeah, she's killing it right now too. Like, it's not even close. Not even close. Man, I love her. She's amazing. Yeah, we definitely need more people like that. More people like AOC, even though I don't agree with a lot of, you know, the liberal politics and stuff. Um, at least the way that they, the th some of the things that they talk about, but that's uh, irrelevant. Like, they know how to get the attention. They know how to speak and articulate what a lot of us are feeling. And so I, I certainly appreciate their beasts, for real. Me and Turner and AOC, they're absolute beasts. Um, you, uh, you, you keeping up with uh, Katie Porter? Oh, Katie Porter is a beast! Oh my gosh, yo! <laughs> Speaking of, man, man, she is amazing. Go ahead, bro. Yeah, go ahead and talk about her a little bit. No, no, no. Just, just oh, generally, man. like uh, every once in a while, I'll see a clip of her in Congress, um, just, just grilling. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> and like the people that she's questioning never expect her no. at all like they they think they're going to get away with everything yeah. and she's like nope i've got your number i know exactly what you're doing and i'm going to lay it out for you yes and you're gonna have to sit here and listen to it yes i she reminds me of like a, a more vicious version of uh i don't know if people are familiar i'm nerding out a little bit alan greenspan alan grayson i don't know if you know uh he was a, a state representative from florida and he used to talk to bankers exactly like her. He was he was rough. He was very rough, and um, yeah, he would he would talk to us particularly about the Federal Reserve. Um, 
he, him and Ron Paul used to go at it talking about the Federal Reserve and how, anyways, I'm not going to go down that whole road, but, <clears throat> you know, you start talking to these financial elites the way that Katie Porter's talking to them. Yeah, it makes them uncomfortable. They, they are not used to being talked to like that. And she doesn't mince words. Like, she talks about, what was that, that most recently there was some healthcare executive. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was, we need more of that. Yeah, she, it, was, was, <laughs> it wasn't Merck. It was. Um, I can't remember which one it was. Oh. Uh, it wasn't Farber. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't Pfizer. No, Pfizer's German. Um, I don't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. But man, she was. <laughs> tar- started talking about the compensation and how these guys raise their R&D. Talking about the you know, R&D. And now, how, how they use R&D to justify the prices they, they yeah. charge, even though. The the overwhelming majority of their expenditures are for like compensation, compensation. yeah, like most and, of the and stock buybacks. Yes, that's a no, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nobody well, talks about Apple doing that crap either. I'm just saying. Yeah. As much as I love Apple, Apple also buys buys back their stock with taxpayer dollars. Let that set in. The most profitable, one of the most profitable corporations on the face of the planet, literally buying back their stock to make themselves rich. With our dollars. So buy Apple stocks, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> if you can. If you can, right. Hey, it's only like 200 some odd bucks right now, I think, but uh, I'm not going to say I don't have any stocks because I do, but, yeah, but, hey, I'm, hey, bro, I'm not, I will definitely throw myself under the bus. I, I'm very honest with, with some things. Let's put it that way. With, yeah. Anyways, I have stocks, so, <laughs> but I would definitely call myself out, but. Anyways. Well, yeah. On, on that note, I, yeah. On the, on that note, I think we should probably uh, wrap things up yeah. and uh, go get some dinner. We should probably cut out like half of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. So uh, I'll, I'll ask again and cross my fingers. Uh, any last nope. any last remarks? <laughs> Anything you want to add? Nope. All right. So uh, thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next time. Jeez.